Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to talk about sanctification today. And uh, actually, teenagers, you have a class today. I forgot to tell you that. Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Francis is over there right now waiting for you. Joe says, over there. You want to head on over? I'm sorry, I forgot all about that. He must be standing there right now saying, well, I brushed my teeth, combed my hair. I don't know what's wrong. All right. This is actually a lesson I taught in the teen class recently, and um, I, I told Pastor I, I was going to teach this class here, this lesson here. It's very, I think, very uh, important lesson as Christians for us to learn. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and if you'll read silently as I read out loud, beginning at verse number 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God um, chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. So in other words, the Lord... He uses the simpler things in life, and I don't mean to call us simple, but he uses the the more common things in life uh, to do his work so that no one can glory in the flesh. Verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us from the word of God. Help us today to learn the truth of this, of this doctrine of sanctification. Strengthen us, encourage us through this, that we might uh, be better Christians, that we might uh, live more like Christ in our daily life and walk. We thank you for these things, and we ask you to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Certainly one of the most misunderstood doctrines uh, of today is that of the sanctification of the believer. Now, one thing we can all agree on is that sanctification is a very important part of the Christian life. And sanctification, as with many doctrines, is misunderstood, and we misunderstand this doctrine when we fail to, uh, to embrace and accept the, the other doctrines that come before it. Uh, and so, we have, to, we have to understand this doctrine of sanctification and, and how it takes place. Now, what is sanctification? Well, there are two definitions I want to look at this morning. The first one is this. In a general sense, uh, sanctification is to cleanse, to purify, or to make holy. Uh, and the second definition is to separate, set apart, or appoint to a holy, sacred, or religious use. Now, from these definitions, we can see that there are two applications of this verb sanctify. One is a work we cannot do, while the other is a work that we must do. So we are sanctified, that is to say, cleansed or purified or made holy by God the Father when we were saved. In the book of Jude, in verse 1, we read Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father 
and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 11 we read, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, the work of sanctification is beyond our human abilities. We cannot, you and I, natural man, cannot make ourselves clean, pure, or holy in the sight of God. Therefore, we cannot separate ourselves unto religious service. So sanctification is a work that is beyond human abilities. Uh, however, there is another definition, and, and we talked about in, the, in, in this application, and that is in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, this application of sanctification is not such that we work or we labor to make ourselves become clean, pure, or holy. Because we've already established that we cannot do that. It's impossible for man in his sinful flesh to do such. We can't become clean, we can't be pure, and we can't become holy. It is, however, the work of our self-willed control of our hearts and minds. What Peter's talking about here is that that part of sanctification, which is our responsibility. So we have two, two works in sanctification. Uh, the first work is that which makes us clean, pure, and holy. This is the work of the Father. God the Father, at our redemption, sanctifies us, cleanses us, makes us pure in his sight, and makes us holy in his eyes. God's work in sanctification enables you and I to complete our work in sanctification. But were it not for the work of God first, there is nothing you or I can do to sanctify ourselves. Oh, we might, natural man might uh, take some time in his life to go to church. He might, he might give some money. He might do things that appear to be the works of sanctification, but we know that they are not acceptable in the sight of God. So, um, there is nothing that I can do to cleanse my soul. However, there are things I can do to control my thoughts. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So I, I can't do anything to make myself holy, and unless God acts upon me and makes me clean, pure, and holy, I won't be able to control my thoughts. Maybe I can for a short time, but I can't consistently do these things. There's nothing I can do to make my soul holy in God's presence. But there is something that I can do to keep my hands from sin. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the 22nd and 23rd verse, Paul writes, Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So because God sanctifies me, and because God makes me clean, holy, and pure in his sight, I am empowered by the sanctification of God to abstain from the appearance of evil. Before I was saved, I couldn't do that. None of us could do that. Oh, again, maybe we could do it for a little while. Anybody can clean up their act for a little while. Anyone can change their behavior for a little while. But to do so with consistency and to do so with conviction is impossible for man unless God acts upon him. So we have the two works of sanctification. We have the the role that Peter said. We're to sanctify our hearts. So there is a part of sanctification that is your responsibility. But that part of sanctification could never take place unless God first sanctifies us through the death of Christ, through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So God, God uh, regenerates us and redeems us. Then he, he gives us uh, this, this sanctification. He makes us clean, pure, and holy. And his Holy Spirit comes upon us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to change the way we think, change the things we do, so that it's not us, but it's the Holy Spirit through us, empowering us and enabling us to do these things. See, this is why people struggle so much with temptation. I don't want you to raise your hand, but have you ever struggled with temptation? Huh? Have you ever been there and have you ever, have you ever just, just become overcome with temptation? You know why? Because you fail to understand some things. See? You fail to understand that God has already made you holy. And that through the Holy Spirit you can overcome that temptation. There's nothing that we can do to, to, to sanctify ourselves. So whether it is the sanctification from and by God, or the sanctification of our hearts and minds, both of these are accomplished through the work of the Lord and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture is given to us for our knowledge and understanding of this. Now, when we properly understand sanctification, it will lead us to two undeniable ends. The first one is this. Once we understand sanctification, it will lead us to the mortification of sin. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. I want you to pay careful attention to those words, possess his vessel. God wants you to know and understand today that you have the power to avoid sin. Now, we know that before we were saved, we did not have that ability. We know that before we were saved, we were, we were, we were servants of sin. We were subject to sin. And we had to sin. It isn't that we wanted to sin. You know, before I was saved, there were a lot of times I didn't want to do the things I was doing. 
But it seemed like I didn't have any control, and that's because I didn't. Because sin had dominion over me. Sin had power over me. Sin ruled me. Sin controlled me. It made me do the things that I did. But now that I'm saved, God has mortified sin. Now, what does this mean? What exactly does it mean to mortify sin? Well, if we're going to answer that, we have to look at the definition of mortify or mortification. And this is the definition. To practice self-denial of one's body and appetites, to hold within limits and control. Now, some teach and believe today that mortification is the destruction of the body of sin as a whole. So, in other words, when, when we were saved, sin was dest- the body of sin was destroyed in the life of the believer. But that's not true. The body of sin wasn't destroyed. I'm still in the flesh. Sin still pursues me daily. Uh, we understand that sin is ever-present with us. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, writes, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a new law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So God hasn't uh, eradicated sin. It's not gone completely. It's still there. So to assume that we are capable of destroying or mortifying sin as destruction of sin in our life is absurd. If this were possible, if we could destroy sin in our life, then we would not have needed a Savior. Jesus would not have had to die. And we also know that God has not eradicated the old nature, nor the sin from the life of the believer. So what do we mean then when we talk about the mortification of sin? Well, by this statement, we mean that God, by virtue of his sanctification of your soul, has limited the power of sin and the flesh over you. So he hasn't removed it, but he's, put a, he's limited it. It's kind of like a dog on a chain. You see, that dog has limits. You walk near that dog and he'll come at you. And he'll show his teeth and he'll growl and he'll bark, but when he reaches the end of his chain, he can't come any closer. And, and that's pretty much what God has done. He's chained sin. He's put it on a, on, on a, on a tether. And yes, when, as we pass by, it will certainly bark and it will growl and it will threaten, but it has its limits. God has limited the, sancti- the, the, the power of sin over you. In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now look what he says in verse 14. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Notice Paul didn't say that sin has been taken away. He simply said that it will not have dominion over you. It implies that God has placed a limit upon its power over you. In other words, when we sin, it's not because we have to sin. It's not because sin overtook us. It's not because temptation overpowered us. When we sin, it's because we chose to sin. We chose to subject ourselves to that temptation. We, we gave in. We surrendered. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul writes, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but look what he says, I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul says, I'm under grace, I'm not under the law. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Sin cannot rule me. Sin does not have dominion over me. Now listen, once we understand this, once we understand that God has limited the power of sin and that we are not brought under its power, that we yield to its power, but we're not conquered by sin, once we understand this, then we will better understand and we'll be able to claim the promises of God as found in 1 Corinthians 10.13, where we read, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Listen. When I understand that sin has no power over me, that temptation will come to me, and I will face temptation, but when I do, I, when I understand that I can stand there and say, Heavenly Father, you have limited the power of this sin, you have limited this, this temptation, it cannot overtake me, therefore I'm calling upon you to give me the strength to overcome this sin, I can beat that sin. And I can beat that temptation. Why? Because it's on a chain. And all i got to do is stay outside of its reach. But if I go inside of its reach, what happens if I step into the yard of that dog? Well, he'll rip me to shreds, won't he? He'll bite me up one side and down the other. And you know what? I deserve what I got. Because I was stupid enough to walk into the range of his chain. Now, God has limited sin. By sanctification, God has said, and we saw that in the life of Job, did we not? Satan came to Job, and God said, well, go ahead and take his possessions, but don't touch Job. And then that wasn't good enough, so Satan came back, and God said, okay, take his health, but you can't have his life. What was God doing? He was limiting him. He limited the power of Satan and said, you, can't go this, you can only go this far. And that's exactly what God has done with sin in the life of his elect children. He has limited sin. He has put a chain on it. It cannot overpower you. You do not have to give in to sin. You do not have to succumb to temptation. You are able to overcome it, and you are able to conquer it. That's the way to escape. The way to escape is to acknowledge God's 
authority and God's power in your life, that God has limited this sin, it cannot take you, it cannot overtake you, and in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you stand against that sin, and that's what it means. Listen, that's what it means when the Bible says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He'll turn tail and run, because he knows that he doesn't have power over you. He knows that God has limited his authority, and he knows that he cannot make you do anything. He can only tempt you. He can only deceive you. He can only fool you into sinning. It is the reality that sin cannot overpower you. That it's the reality that you must surrender to its will. It cannot. It cannot control you. God's work in sanctification enables you and I to be able to do our part in sanctification. We can resist temptation. And we can forsake sin, but not by our own strength and not by our own efforts to sanctify ourselves, but by the work of God in sanctification. So next time you face temptation and you feel that it has control over you or power over you, just remember that God has limited that control and power and has given you the ability to overcome As we read in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater than Satan, folks. God is greater than the Antichrist. God is greater than anyone or anything. And we are safe and secure in his hands. Nothing can take us away from the Lord. So this work of sanctification by God has limited sin's power over me and has enabled me to resist sin and walk in righteousness. The righteousness of Christ Jesus our Lord. But not only does this sanctification uh, result in, or let me say the understanding of this, result in the mortification of sin, it also results, secondly, in the production of fruit. The production of fruit. Now, in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes in the 20th through 22nd verses, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, Ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. Now, we have to be careful here with this word fruits. Uh, Some today equate the fruits mentioned here uh, to be souls won to Christ. Yet I find no instance in the scriptures where a soul is referred to as fruit. No place when the word fruit is used in Scripture is it referring to the soul of a man. Uh, Fruit in the Scripture always refers to the finished work of grace and righteousness upon the believer. Uh, Men love to measure their spirituality by their results. Men just love to do that. They love to talk about how many people they've they've won to the Lord and how many people they've They've seen come forward down the aisles of their church. They love to do that. Um, 
But that's not what this is talking about when it talks about fruits. Now, now listen to my whole explanation before you close me down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Paul writes, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, the teaching of the, of the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 talks about the fruitfulness of the laborer. And, and some try to use this passage to justify their belief in this, that a man's fruitfulness is measured by the number of souls he wins. But in Matthew 13, 8, we see this, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. But listen to the commentary notes on that verse of Scripture by one of the greatest preachers to ever live, a matter of fact, the forerunner of, of, uh, of, of um, oh, his name popped out of my head, Spurgeon, the forerunner of Spurgeon, uh, and, and the mentor, John Gill. Listen to what he says concerning this. It's going to come up on the screen. Concerning this verse of, of, of the, the hundredfold, the sixtyfold, and the thirtyfold. Here's what he says. Here in the parable, there are various increases. Uh, th- these various increases intend the different degrees of fruitfulness in gracious souls. Now, he's not talking about the fruitfulness in numbers of souls. He's talking about in the individual believer's soul. The fruitfulness in our own souls. For though the fruits of grace in believers are of the same quality, in other words, we all receive the same amount of grace, yet not of the same quantity. Some believers are grown to a greater maturity than others. Some are but little children. Some are young men. Some are fathers. So the, the fruits being discussed here, again, this hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, is, is, is talking about spiritual maturity. It's talking about uh, not, he's talking about the works of righteousness uh, by the grace of God. It's not talking about the production of souls. Listen, folks, God has not made us little assembly lines spitting out Christians every week. Our spirituality is not measured by how many people we proselytize, but rather our spirituality is measured by our maturity in the Lord. The fruit that's seen here is the same as we see in Galatians chapter 5, where we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And the fruit here is this, is this work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we understand, <clears throat> when we understand the sanctification of the Lord, and we acknowledge the truth that it is God's work in sanctification that enables us to be able to have control over sin, resist temptation, change the way we live our life, think differently, act differently, behave differently. When we understand all of these things, we will then begin to yield our lives to the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And as we grow... And as we mature as Christians, these fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, all these attributes that we see here begin to come out of our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithness, meat, temperance. Listen, 
I know, I know preachers that win souls to Christ, but are standing in their pulpit right now and hate us. As they're preaching in their church this morning, they wish nothing but ill will upon Berean Baptist Church. They would do, they would do anything they could to, to see us fail and to see this church close. And all of you sitting here right now know that I'm, that I'm telling the truth. There are people that hate us. Now, are you going to tell me that a man standing behind a pulpit who hates us is, is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in his life? He may, go out and, he may go out and witness and praise the Lord if he does. And he may, he, may, he may present the truth and people may get saved and praise the Lord when they do. But, is that, but does that equate to spirituality? If, if that preacher can stand in his pulpit and hate another church, hate other Christians, does that equate itself to spirituality? Can that possibly be what the Lord is talking about here in this, in this place? I don't think so. You see, the sanctification we have in Christ produces these fruits, these works in our life. When God, when we were saved, God sanctified us. And when we understand this, when we understand that sanctification is the work of the Lord and that we are only able to change the things in our lives and do the things in our lives that we do because the Holy Spirit himself has empowered us to do those things, then we will yield to that Holy Spirit and, and, and the fruits of the Spirit will begin to come out in our lives. And we will even hate our enemies. I mean, I'm sorry, we will even love our enemies. We'll love them as we were commanded to do. We can't do that otherwise, can we? Natural man can't love people that hate him. It's impossible. We can only do that if the, if the fruit of the Spirit is in our life. That's the only way we can have love. It's the only way we can love each other. It's the only way we can, we can love those that despise us and, and use us and persecute us. The only way we could do that is if God first sanctified me and enabled me and made it possible for me to be able to do these things. Because in my natural state, I could have never done them. What about the old nature? What does it produce? Well, Galatians tells us that. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. Don't misquote me. I am not saying that we do not need to be witnesses for Christ. We are obviously and clearly commanded to preach the gospel to every creature. But what I am saying is this, that I know many Christians who claim to win Christ, or win souls to Christ, and all the while their life is filled with the works of the flesh we just described. And I'm not standing here today and say that I'm perfect and, and never do wrong. Please understand that as well. But if we have true spirituality, it's not measured. You understand, spirituality is not measured in trophies. 
It's not measured in heads on the wall or notches in your, in your gun. It's not measured in how many people you win to Christ. Just because if, if, a, if a meek man wins two or three people to Christ in his whole life, that doesn't mean he's any less spiritual than some guy who's a bus captain and wins hundreds and, and maybe thousands of children and, and people to Christ in his life. It doesn't mean this one over here is more spiritual than this one. Although there's a lot of people that run around thinking that. There's a lot of people running around saying, this guy over here is more spiritual than him because he wins more souls than he wins. But I got news for you. Our God doesn't judge us that way. We judge each other that way. But God doesn't judge us that way. God judges our spirituality based upon our heart, not upon how much work we can do. God looks in the heart of man and God, God, sees, the, God sees the fruit of the Spirit emanating from this man's life. And God says, that's spirituality. So we have to be careful. Because when we talk about fruit, we can't make fruit become that which the Bible doesn't, doesn't claim it to be. The, the fruit in the Bible always refers to the finished work of grace in the life of the believer. It talks about the, the finished work of righteousness of Christ coming out of our life. That's the fruit. Some mature more than others because some are more diligent than others, perhaps, in certain things. This is the hypocrisy that, that James talked about and he warns us about. In James chapter 2 and verse 20 through 22, he writes, But wilt thou, O vain man, uh, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon his, his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect? The sanctification wrought by God will produce fruit in our life. We will be filled with the Spirit of God. And our life will produce works of righteousness. However, they're not works by our own effort. But they are such works, they are the works of Christ. They are the works that, that are produced through the, through the guidance and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it all begins with you and I understanding that it's all because of God. It's not because of me. It's not because I decided I'm going to do some things differently. Because I can't do things differently. I am sinful flesh. Paul said, I know that there is nothing good in me. No, no good in my flesh. There's nothing I can do to make myself clean, to make myself pure, or to make myself holy. I can shine my shoes, but they're going to get dirty again. But God is like Coraphram. He's like patent leather. He always shines. And, and when we get saved, the, the God himself sanctifies us. And he, he, he limits the power of sin in our lives. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit strives in our life to, 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 to help us grow so that the fruit of the Spirit, the works and the righteousness of Christ will come forth from our lives. Then will we become witnesses for Christ. 
true witnesses. Then will we be able to go forth and speak to men of our Savior, and men will be drawn to Christ. Not because of our words, but because of the, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I, it's not because we speak words that people get saved. That's not what, that's not what draws a man's heart to Christ. It's not the words we speak. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit in the words. It's the power of God using you and I as a beacon, as a light, to bring the gospel to, to those people that he has called and chosen. That's the power of sanctification. So let you, let's you and I not, not mistakenly misunderstand. And, and let's, don't, let's don't develop the attitude that we have to sanctify ourselves, because we can't. The work of sanctification has already been done. It was done when, when, when God saved me. Now, my job, God has enabled me to change the way I think, to the way I behave. He has given me the power to overcome my own nature and go against my nature and do the works of righteousness. Now, folks, the sanctification of the believer enables you and I to sanctify our hearts and hands. For God's glory and honor. But I tell you, there's a lot of people today that, that don't understand that. And until we do, we'll never, truly, we'll never truly be able to be the Christian God wants us to be. We'll never truly be able to be that, that witness for Christ. We'll struggle in our Christian life. We'll face temptation and we'll think, I have to do it all by myself. We'll think, I, I have to overcome this this temptation, and, and at times we'll give in to that temptation because we fail to realize that God is already, and he's already limited that. We, we have the power to overcome it. It's already there. All we have to do is claim it. All we have to do is understand and call upon the Lord in those times, and God will, will, will help us overcome that temptation. So please, as, I, as we leave this room, call upon the Lord and, 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 and help, ask him to help you every day. Every time you, you feel tempted, every time, every time something comes up and you say, oh boy, I don't know what to do. Just remember, it's on a chain. It's on a chain. God has limited it. It can't, it can't overcome you. It can't defeat you. You can only surrender to it. It's all up to us to, 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 to just obey the Lord and, and resist that temptation, and the devil will flee from us. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go ahead and break for 10 minutes. And uh, if you want to read more on sanctification, I, I, I encourage you to, um, to go online and, and read Arthur Pink's works on sanctification. It's, it's an incredible, incredible work. It's hard reading because those guys back in, in, in those years um, wrote very complicated articles. It's hard reading, but it's one of the greatest articles on sanctification that I've ever read. All right, folks, thanks a lot, and you are dismissed.